Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except we actually have no way of knowing if you read the book. This month's pick is Andrea Gibson's new collection of poems. It's called You Better Be Lightning. Just a note before we get started, some of the poems that we discuss in this episode deal with things like suicide and sexual assault. You will get a heads up before we read those poems, but you know, you do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself today. Now, this is normally where I would do a spoiler warning, but it's poetry. Uh, I will say we did an interview with Andrea earlier this month. They are amazing. It's a lovely conversation. I do recommend you take a listen to that. You can find it wherever you found this podcast, but no pressure either way. We are glad to have you. Today, we're going to discuss the collection with two poets. Here with me is Jennifer Huang. Their collection, Return Flight, will be out next month. Jennifer, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. We also have Christopher Soto. He has a collection coming out next year. It's called Diaries of a Terrorist. Christopher, hey. Hello, hello, hello. Good to be here. So I wanted to start with what might seem like a silly question, but I was curious how you like to read poems. Like, is there a certain place you want to sit? Is there like, do you read them out loud? How do you most like to to consume a poem? What do you think, Jennifer? I like to consume poems in my bed with coffee in the morning. Mm. Um, And I do sometimes read them out loud. I think it's an interesting experience to read poetry out loud. I feel like it gives it um, a spiritual quality sometimes that I really appreciate. Mm. That's really beautiful. What do you think, Christopher? I'm all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be flipping through two, three, four books at a time sometimes. You know, I'll go into the bathtub and I'll have my legs up above the faucet and I'll be, you know, reading a whole poetry book in one sitting. And sometimes I'll pick a book up and down and bounce around different different poems and different parts of it. So I think it just depends on uh, my mood. And I think poetry kind of as a genre just allows for a lot of flexibility in terms of how you interact with the with with the book. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I actually read this one out loud just to myself on the couch and I thought it was it worked really well. I think that probably makes sense given that so much of Andrea's own experience is as like a spoken word poet, you know. Mm. Agree, agree. We have a voicemail from a listener who read this book and sent in her thoughts. Let's take a listen to Liz cuz I think it kind of speaks to this point too. This book is so honest and so real and poetry and the words and really I wish that I had found an audio version of this because I think to have heard Andrea Gibson read this entire collection of poetry would have been incredible um, and elevated the reading experience even more. I thought that was such an interesting point in some ways I was almost kind of surprised that there wasn't an audio version of this collection. Yeah that surprises me too. 
you know, as I was reading this collection, um, I was thinking about uh, Andrea's relationship to performance. Hmm. Uh, in the slam poetry community, I was taught, you know, where to stand, how to move, how to move my feet, my hands, how to fluctuate my voice, how to write a poem with rhythm and ca- cadence and repetition that would land beautifully on the ears of the reader mm-hmm. through repetition you can allow the reader to walk away with a core meaning or core principle or core core story of the poem. Um, when I think about like oral histories and oral poetry, sometimes I think about that, like that fact that the audience or the listener um, may not have the opportunity to return to that poem again, uh, if it's not recorded or if it's just performed in space. Yeah. Because I, I think you're right that, you read this collection and you hear it and you hear the performance and you hear the storytelling mm-hmm. and you hear the messaging. That's such an interesting way of putting it. Um, Jennifer, what do you think? Like, are there other tricks or devices that you found Andrea use that that maybe a casual reader of poetry might not pick up on? I wanted to go off of what Christopher was saying about repetition, mm-hmm. um, especially in thinking of the, the poem Queer Youth are five times more likely mm-hmm. to die by suicide. I'm just like so enamored by the repetition and how it really builds up and how the messaging kind of like it sometimes like flips on its head, but then, and there's like an element of surprise to a lot of these poems, especially towards Mm. the end. Yeah. I think that poem is a really beautiful one to bring up because just as we were talking about, like every time that, that moment uh, about queer youth committing suicide is brought up or the fact that they're five times more likely to commit suicide is brought up. It's like the context around that statement is changed. And so it's Mm -hmm. like the whole stanza or the whole relationship to that repetition is changed every single time. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it might be worth reading that poem so that we can look at how the repetition changes throughout each stanza, depending on the context. I think that's a great idea. Would you be game to do that, Christopher? Can I put you on the spot? Can I pass the buck to Jennifer since they like it too? (laughs) Yeah, I can read it. Yeah. (laughs) Queer youth are five times more likely to die by suicide. Means you lived five times harder than you should have had to, to still have a body when you graduated high school. Means hate worked five times harder to make your spirit its wishbone. Means when your mother asked what was wrong, you were five times more likely to believe you'd lose her if you spoke the truth. Means you were told five times more often you'd go to hell when you died. Means burning for eternity seemed five times more doable than another day in the school lunchroom. Means you were five times more inclined to triple padlock your diary means you are five times more likely to stop writing your story down, means I write my heart out now. I graffiti billboards with the page of my diary the bullies used to start the rumors. I tie that page to the end of a kite string and run a crooked line through the straightest mile of the Bible belt. That page is a protest sign. That page is a bandana washing the tear gas out of my lover's eyes. Queer youth are five times more likely to die by suicide means I sneak into fascist sleepovers and sharpie my pronouns onto the faces of senators who voted to criminalize my kisses when I was 19. 
I cut the hate out of my mail and paper mache Christmas ornaments for queer couples whose parents do not know, do not want to know their grandchildren. I hack high school curriculums and delete every test that does not ask what the P in Marsha P. Johnson stands for. I walk through graveyards with a chisel, correcting the names of trans kids whose family said no when asked, can you just let me live? I pace the suburbs with spray paint, editing the welcome mats of homophobes until they all speak the truth, that they personally burn the roof over the heads of queer youth are five times more likely to die by suicide means. There are many days I thirst for my own silence, but walk through the desert screaming instead, because I, like most of my queer friends, don't have a child. I have millions from Nebraska to Chechnya to the Baptist church where I grew up. My pride in them is a parade I know won't keep all of them alive, but I keep cutting my diary into confetti to throw at their hopes when they float by scared or furious or laughing or in love and desperate for the headline to say, queer youth are five times more likely to offer to walk their younger siblings home from school, to notice the different accents of sparrows, to find an eyelash and spend 20 minutes trying to pick what to wish for five times more likely to never outgrow blanket forts, to know there is a word for the scent in the air after it rains, to see lifelines look like telephone wires and call a friend who's having a bad day, five times more likely to adore the last man who walked on the moon just because he wrote his daughter's initials there, to know there's no universe in which they would not be proud of their own children. Queer youth are five times more likely to see how you dream of seeing yourself, to write something in your yearbook that will get you through the next decade, to spot a stranger crying and ask if there's anything they can do to help, five times more likely to need us to do the same. How beautiful, mm. how, how powerful. It's, I mean, mm -hmm. I can't read it without crying. <laughs> it's just really mm. beautiful. I think that poem just so perfectly encapsulates everything that we've chatted about so far, like the ability to be spoken out loud and heard out loud, like the consistent and clear narrative, the um, repetition, like making us as a listener walk away and remember five times, five times, five times. And each time the five times is brought up, it changes. But what we walk away with is at the core, remembering that title, five, queer youth are five times more likely to commit suicide. It's just, mm -hmm. it just really succeeds as, as a poem to be performed. And I think it does wonders on the page as well. It really does. Yeah. It's interesting to think about it as, because initially all those repetitions are there, it's devastating, right? And then there's anger and then it shifts to beauty. And I think it ends on hope, which is also, you know, like to see those, that arc is so gorgeous too, you know? That really feels like Andrea's work, right? It always feels yeah. like it's returning. So nuanced. There's so, so many various emotions, but it always feels like it's returning to hope or it's returning to love. Like when I think about this mm. book, like the crux of the book, like its last word is love. Yeah. You know, it has, it has these, you know, so many relationship poems mm -hmm. as well, but the relationship poems I don't think are like the central component of love in this book you know there's like love for in this case queer youth love for friends love for self love 
you know, for, for the world. It's, um, mm-hmm. for it's Earth, a, yeah. but I, I think that's such a beautiful inclination that so often in these works, we do see a return to hope or a return to love. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also a, a willingness to perceive imperfection, you know, and almost like mm-hmm. an embrace of that as part of love. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. I really loved, I think one of my favorite poems was actually the first one about uh, breaking the world ref- record for goosebumps. Oh, Partly because I think that encapsulates so much about wonder and pleasure and delight and, and, you know, just constantly one upping yourself in how amazing life is, is just such a gorgeous sentiment, I think. Yeah. And I think that kind of creates a really beautiful parenthetical around the book too, right? Yeah. Like you, open, you open the book with this poem that is in one sense about love. Like, you know, it's all of these things that give the author like goosebumps mm-hmm. um, or like that provides like excitement about the world. And um, these, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be paraphrasing it horribly, but the poem ends with saying something along the lines of <clears throat> uh, if someone were to break my record for goosebumps, then I would immediately break it again mm-hmm. out of like excitement that they had broken my record. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's, yeah, there's just that joy and, and that love that, that reverberates throughout the whole collection. Yeah. It seems like such a full embrace of life, even when life is terrible, you know? Definitely. And there's also like a playfulness to it too. Mm. It just reminds me of like childhood and like competing and yeah, <laughs> really beautiful. Yeah, that's a really good point. The idea, yeah, like just counting points and all of that stuff. I love that. More on You Better Be Lightning in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Christopher, did you have any other favorites that you want to talk about? Yeah, before me, I'm looking at this um, poem, The Call, option one. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this poem is because uh, the story being about sexual assault and surviving Mm -hmm. sexual assault. Mm -hmm. But the individual story and narration is also a manner by which the author is able to tie their work to a greater political movement. In this poem, there's a line that explicitly calls out the Me Too movement or references the Me Too movement. And so I think I think this is a really beautiful poem for the way that it uses personal narrative to speak about the political That's a really good point that I had not actually thought of before. Christopher, would you mind reading an excerpt from that one, the call option one? All right. Let me find out a good place to start. So uh, again, I'll just reiterate that this poem is um, about surviving sexual assault. And in the poem, the author is 
imagining a call to the perpetrator of the assault. And this excerpt is from the middle of the poem and it says, I could make his address the title of my next book. And yes, I think he asked for it. Ask me to play hangman with his name on the local news, asked me to spray paint me too across his pickup truck and say, I dare you to compare property damage with someone you made property, with someone whose puberty you mutilated. I'll say trauma is a pretty word for how to die and every day of the year, every day of the year. But my voice is alive and right now, it is the only justice system I trust. Mm. You have a poem about surviving and in the, in the heart of it, you say, my voice is alive and right now, it is the only justice system I trust. Mm -hmm. But the way that it's done so seamlessly, like the politics interweaved with the narrative, mm -hmm. it almost allows the reader to glance over the fact that it's so political. That's a really, really good insight. I love that. It's a really beautiful poem, too. Something that I'd written on this poem was like using the poem and the page as a way to kind of like come to terms or to like empower oneself. And I thought that this poem did that beautifully. And like also kind of thinking about like how we as humans probably do this in our own mind, like thinking of like, oh, I want to approach this situation this way or that way and just like imagining all of these scenarios. I think that's really smart to, that you pointed out that there's also another pairing, that there's the call option one, and then right next to it is the call option two. Because it's like, isn't that how trauma appears? It's like mm -hmm. you think about like one way that you would have interacted. It's like this traumatic event happens. And then you think about one thing you could have done, two things you could have done, three things, a million different ways that you could have interacted with it. And then you're mm -hmm. like, it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, something I was thinking about was um, one of the notes. Um, I guess Andrea mentions their therapist quite often. <laughs> um, and something that I was thinking about is like how reading this book felt like therapy to me mm -hmm. or kind of like, um, reminded me of all these different things that I'm learning um, as I work through things. Um, and it was just that. And then plus like the doses of hope that were just so like needed. Yeah, I think there's a really beautiful, I don't know if balance is quite the right word, but the, the honoring of difficulty and trauma and suffering, but also the the survival inherent in that as well mm. without making it seem like if you're not strong enough to get through it, there's something wrong with you also. You know what I mean? Like it's also completely without shame for anyone making other choices, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. There's this poem right here. It's a short poem called wellness check. Yes. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Will you read it for us, Christopher? Okay. Yeah, I could, I could read it. Um, wellness check. In any moment, on any given day, I can measure my wellness by this question. Is my attention on loving 
or is my attention on who isn't loving me? Oh my God. That's the one that I think I've thought about the most since reading this collection. Like it just kind of pops up in my heart now and then, and I'm never mad about it. (laughs) Yeah. It also pops up for me. I'm just like going about my day and maybe like upset about something. I'm like, huh. And it comes up. I'm like, okay, redirecting my attention now. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really profound. I am curious if you two have recommendations for other poetry collections that could resonate with folks, especially if they liked You Better Be Lightning, and maybe especially for those of us who don't read a lot of poetry. The one collection that came to mind was Focal Point by Jenny Chi. Um, It's written about the loss of a mother and then also um, talks about grief and deaths of all kinds. It's really beautiful. That sounds really beautiful. What do you think, Christopher? Well, I have to shout out my own book, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) I should have done that. (laughs) And Jennifer's and Jennifer's. So those are coming out. Those are coming out shortly. Yes, yes. We'll definitely keep an eye out for those. And I think being a little bit less um, (laughs) self-centered. I think uh, 2022 is... Such a superb, superb year for poetry. I'm I'm really excited for a lot of titles. So some new titles coming out in 2022 are by Sama Sharif, Diamond Sharp, Wo Chan, Annie Liu, Ocean Buang. There's a whole list. There is a whole list. (laughs) (laughs) So y'all are among good company, I will say. It is terrifying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's really exciting. Congratulations to both of you, by the way. That's like, what a thrill that must be. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, So my last question is for every book club pick, we always do like a completely arbitrary rating system. (laughs) And we were thinking about it for this one. And I love the idea of doing goosebumps. (gasps) And uh, one of the descriptions in that poem involves... um, an enemy's love poem being 222 goosebumps. So I thought we could say between zero and 222 goosebumps, how many goosebumps would you give this book? Knowing again that it is completely arbitrary. (laughs) Uh, Christopher, what do you think? Oh my goodness. I'm so bad at these type of answers. Um, I would give it a billion and a half goosebumps. <laughs> and I would also put a little star next to it that says, if this isn't if this isn't your cup of tea, like don't give up on poetry. Mm. There's a whole bunch of different genres too. That's beautiful. A billion goosebumps with an asterisk. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Jennifer, what do you think? Um, just to one up Christopher, <laughs> I would have to say two billion, <laughs> two billion and a half. Oh no, I lost. I lost. <laughs> why would you give it that many just because it really felt perfect for you um just because it really did give me so many goosebumps when I was reading it um I'm kind of in a weird period of MFA burnout where I've been having trouble reading poetry but I think this book reminded me of why I really love poetry and really brought me back to like the childlike joy that I had when I first started writing and so I'm really grateful for that That's really high praise. Yeah, I like what you say about how it kind of felt like therapy. I feel like reading this book, like, 
immediately I just started crying and my heart just swelled up in the most beautiful possible way. And I feel like that was kind of the experience of reading the whole thing. It was just, you know, it's not, it's not always easy to read, but it's always beautiful, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm just so grateful for that experience. So I don't know, 5 billion goosebumps. (laughs) What are you going to do now? (laughs) I I never thought I would have lowballed myself. (laughs) gosh well thank you both so much for for taking the time out of your busy lives and reading this collection and coming to talk with me about it i really appreciate it thank you so much thanks so much for creating this space to celebrate poetry and to celebrate this wonderful collection great were those two. Jennifer Huang's collection Return Flight comes out January 18th and Christopher Soto's collection Diaries of a Terrorist will be out in May. That's it for this month's book club. I am super excited about our January book. It's called Olga Dies Dreaming. It's by Sochil Gonzalez. You can check out the spoiler-free interview next Tuesday, then read the book. And of course, we would love to know what you think of it. You can do that by recording yourself on your little smartphone and emailing the file over to nerd.podcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brandon Banazak. And thanks for reading and listening along this year, y'all. Here's to many more great reads in 2022. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.